0: Welcome to episode 72 of Controller Controllables. Today we have Dominic Kopther. Dominic is the outlier. He played tennis once or twice a week until the age of 16. He had a college coach take a massive chance on him and he only had one school in America recruiting him. He's now 65 in the world ATP. He made quarter-finals of the Rome Masters a few weeks ago, losing in three tight sets to Novak Djokovic. His story is incredible. It's a must-listen. There's there's more than one way to skin a cat, is very much the saying. And I think it's very important in our sport that we realise there is lots of ways to the top of the game. And there's also lots of different success measures away from just winning. Dominic speaks really well, openly, honestly, and he comes across as he is a a, a fantastic, humble young man who's got an exciting career ahead. I urge you to sit back, enjoy, get a pen and paper out, make some notes, and listen to Dominic Kopther. I'm going to pass you over now to Dominic. So Dominic Kopfer, a massive welcome to control the controllables. Thank you for joining us.
1: Yeah, of course, thank you for having me.
0: And you're joining us from Mexico. So tell tell us what you what you're doing in Mexico right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was trying to go back to the states from Germany. played my last tournament there and then yeah, my home base is in Tampa, Florida. I was trying to fly back. I was about to check in for the flight and then they wouldn't let me back on no, they wouldn't let me back on the flight. So yeah, I had come up with another solution how to get into the US and spending fourteen days in Mexico was one of them. So I decided to do that. Um, take a little time off here and then yeah, hopefully get back into the country next week.
0: So even a top hundred and eighty P tennis player, there's no exemptions for them in this crazy world right now either.
1: No, it's it's um I honestly I didn't expect that I was gonna have trouble because I I mean, I've been in the US for eight years now and I've heard of many people going back into the country, but I guess it is what it is. Can't change it. And yeah, I'll I'll hopefully be fine next week.
0: And that's so you're saying that that's the season over for you. Is that is that through an injury? Is that through a choice? Why why are you are not going to play the last couple of tournaments at the end of the year?
1: No, I think um we decided to, I decided together with my coaches and um, that it's gonna be better for me to take like a week and a half off and then start practicing again because um who knows um apparently we might have to go to Australia really early in December so yeah there's not much time to practice and I think there's still some components missing in my game and I want to work on them on them and then hopefully yeah make the next push next year when it starts back up.
0: And how important is that? So you sitting currently 65 in the world, you've been as high as 61 in the world, a former NCAA number one, a recent quarter finalist at the Rome Masters Series losing to Novak Djokovic in three sets, yet you're still talking about working on your game. Is that that something that you're continually doing?
1: Yes, for sure. I mean, yeah, I've, I've had some good results recently and played great in Rome and Um played one of the I played a few very good players. Obviously played Djokovic, um the best in the game right now probably. And then um yeah, you just realize that there's still some stuff missing and if you wanna hang with those guys and actually beat them and not just play with them, there's still yeah, a few things in my game and my fitness that I have to work on and it's definitely something I wanna focus on the next five or six weeks, depending on how long how much time we have until we leave for Australia and I think it's really important for me to like start the yeah, like for next year to start the year fresh and not be exhausted from this year and just playing until the end of November and then yeah, having to go straight to Australia.
0: No, no, of course. And you you mentioned then without giving your your secrets away on, on areas of the game too much. What what's, can you give us a little insight into the sort of things that you will be working on in the next few weeks?
1: Yeah, just the consistency. I mean, I, over the last like two years, I um, have been like a little streaky. I've had some good weeks. i had some bad weeks and there's just no consistency yet and that's probably one of the biggest differences between those top 30 players and where I'm at right now is that they just bring the level every single week and there's um, yeah, some, some fitness things that I'm just not strong enough on the court and obviously serve is something I can work on with my lefty serve and then yeah, it's just a few little things I want to you know, work on with my coaches, and yeah, I mean the most important thing is to find the consistency and be able to play at the highest level week after week and every single match, every single day.
0: And and on that, we've had a few kind of people on the on the podcast that have talked about this. That you know, when you have a week like you have in Rome, obviously coming through, coming through qualifying, beating G L C Mon, I believe last round qualifying, wins over D Manua Monfis the young lad, Musetti, who's obviously coming through and then losing a tight match to Djokovic. It, how how long can you almost celebrate a week like that? Or, or how good is that feeling? Because we've had people on the podcast that have said you kind of have like a, a one or two minute period where you can almost enjoy the success but then the mind quite quickly starts going to the next event and obviously in tennis we tend to lose most weeks you know how how, how do you find that and the ability to keep going each week
1: yeah it's not easy especially it was my I think it was on my, my first uh, ATP Masters um, main draw so I was all really excited to be there and be in the main draw and then won a few rounds and um, first quarterfinals played number one in the world everything new for me I've never played like I think I played one or two top ten guys, so it's all been a new situation for me, and and yeah, it's not easy to like deal with them. Um, coming off a good tournament, it's obviously hard to bounce back the next week and just do it all over again. And um, I was excited to play in Hamburg. Uh, I got a special exam into Hamburg, so I didn't have to grind through qualities and that was obviously yeah good. And yeah, it's, it's always tough to, like, come off a good week and then be ready for the next week and start at zero because, I mean, new tournament, new match, um, everything starts from zero. It doesn't matter what he did last week, but um, I think I did a better job than some other some other tournaments. I'm um, just taking the conference with me and just keep staying focused and then trying 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 my best out there. And then obviously lost a tough one to Bautista Agu as well. Um, Just a little experience that's still missing, um, Never played those guys before. It was the first time really that I played those top guys. And yeah, I think I learned a lot from it.
0: That's great. And, and and you certainly and I want to get into that that now, Dominic, is is your life. If we kind of look at you, you're almost like the outlier of the ATP tennis world in, in terms in terms of your story. So I would imagine you're all the way through the journey, you're having lots of new experiences all the time. You're obviously adapting very well to them because you seem to just keep making those steps up. But where did this this whole tennis journey start for you?
1: Yeah, I've definitely like, took a different route than most other professional tennis players that are currently in the top 100. I mean, I I always enjoy playing tennis. I was little, started early, I was like four years old, had a racket and my parents, yeah, played with me for a little bit and practiced like once or twice a week until I was 16. Um, did well at the German championships and then they obviously decided to play college. Um, didn't do great there the first year. Almost, yeah, wasn't very good. And, um, yeah, I just, I enjoyed being in college, enjoyed being around teammates and, yeah, worked hard in practices. And then the last two years in college, obviously, were really good. And I decided to take it, yeah, you know, give it a shot on the pro tour and, yeah, the first year or two was obviously different. I mean, it's it's hard coming from college and playing in a team, being around teammates, and then having to yeah, you know, travel on tour every single week by yourself and having to take losses every week. Um, I wasn't used to that, and it was definitely yeah, a big change for myself. And it, it wasn't easy, but, yeah, I slowly adapted and got to, yeah, you know, take take a lot from, I think, college experience really helped me to, yeah, take it into like on the pro tour and like try to like, get my ranking up there.
0: You have so casually just dropped in that I used to practice one to two times a week till I was 16.
1: Yeah, I, I did a lot of different stuff. I, I did a lot of sports. Um, I was skiing and where I grew up, there was a lot of, yeah, a lot of snow. So it was snow about like four or five months a year. So I did that a lot. I was I was golfing. I was always playing soccer, coming from Germany. Everyone plays soccer there. So I did a lot of different stuff. Um, my focus wasn't really on tennis. I mean, I really enjoyed playing tennis. I, I had a lot of fun. I played a lot of club tennis, never played junior ITFs. I played some prize money tournaments because there's quite a few in Germany. And yeah, I just didn't really think it was a possibility for me to like, be a professional player i mean it was always a dream but it was very unrealistic because i was just not good enough but i was 15 in the junior rankings in germany and i don't think i've ever been top 10 and then unexpectedly made the i think they have made the finals so under 16 some out of nowhere my first german championships and then i kind of started picking up a little bit because i had the goal of yeah playing playing college tennis i thought it was a good chance for me to you know, combine education and you know, playing tennis at the same time and getting better and then obviously even the first two years in college I didn't really have the goal to be a professional tennis player and then after I started winning a lot of matches um, got my rankings up in the college rankings as well, give it a shot and yeah
0: <laughs> And again though, but I, ha- I guess the, the question in my head and I'm sure in all the listeners heads as well Dominic it's obviously your life so you've lived it and maybe haven't thought too much of it. But if we look at the tennis world in general, there is an obsession with early specialization. There's an obsession with hours and hours on the tennis court, competing, playing, you know, all of these things, fixed programs. And there you are strolling in, playing a couple of times a week, playing different sports. How how did you become so good? Because you still made final of Nationals Germany under 16, which is still a very high level of tennis. So how were you so good when you played so little?
1: I don't think it's necessarily disadvantaged when you're younger to just do different sports. I mean, you develop a lot of, I guess, different skills, different ball skills. And yeah, I I, I really enjoyed playing tennis. And what I saw when I was younger, like a lot of people practice a lot and they just, they quit tennis when they were 18. They had enough of it. And that just wasn't the case for me. I always wanted more. And then, yeah, I kind of um, just went with it. I I I was talented. I, I I guess it doesn't it doesn't work without talent, but I also I think I I was always a hard worker, like every 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 physical activity I did, I, I gave it my all and I think that helped a lot just developing like different things, like playing different sports, playing soccer, playing playing um, golf and skiing a lot. I I was just, I wasn't too focused on tennis. And I think I just had, I really enjoyed playing tennis. And I think that gave me the chance to, yeah continue playing tennis in college and actually enjoying it and not feeling like it's a, I have to go to practice today. I I actually wanted to go to practice because I just haven't, yeah, I just didn't practice as much as others. And I think that there was kind of an advantage doing my, yeah, college years I think
0: and in terms of you know and I guess the other the other one that comes into my head uh, is I'm I'm certainly a believer that in order to kind of bring it every single day we we need to have a purpose and a reason why we do things so if I share a little story how accurate this is I don't know and you might tell me different because he's he's from Germany but Benjamin Becker I was was in college at the same time as, as Benjamin and the word on him was that he wasn't a big fan of tennis as such as a player. However, he said to his college coach at Baylor early on, look, I'm not a massive fan. I don't particularly like practicing. However, I want a full scholarship. So I want to do whatever it takes for me to keep my full scholarship and he obviously did that and then got to the stage where he thought right well I can make some money on the tour and so off he went and played on the tour what was what was your driver I guess your purpose your reason if at that stage you weren't thinking about playing professional tennis
1: um, I really enjoy playing college tennis just because of the team environment you're in I mean you're around eight other young guys and you have a pretty professional environment. I wasn't used to, we had a physio, two coaches, a strength coach. So that was one of the reasons why I think I had a good time just pushing myself and working hard on court and off court as well. Um, I don't think I would have yeah, made it to where I'm at right now without going to college because um, just pushing yourself in practice every single day by yourself is much harder than, when you're around like other guys that have the same goal they, they they play for each other and I think the yeah the connections with my teammates really made me work hard and made me excited going to practice every day I mean obviously there's there's bad days and you don't want to be on court um, if you practice six times a week in college I mean it's it's not easy but it made it much easier to be in this team environment and having other guys um working for the same goals I guess and you you practice for each other, you, you you won, you lost for each other. So there was more like the thought of a team spirit there and that I really liked. And that was one of the reasons why I struggled with at the beginning on the pro tour, that there was no team yeah. spirit. I was just playing for myself. I had to practice for myself. If I lost, um, yeah, I wouldn't affect anyone but myself. And in college, if I lost and never gave up on court, um, it affected eight other guys, two coaches and the entire school like probably read about it, heard about it. So there's definitely different pressures and I really enjoyed um yeah, playing for the school, playing for my teammates, which I think helped a lot for me to like develop as a tennis player.
0: And I wanna I wanna come back to college in a second, Dominic, but just Something you said there resonates with me a lot. Like I know, and we talked about this off air, I'm, I'm an LSU boy. So technically, I guess we're rivals, Tulane and LSU. <laughs> um, and, and that was something I found extremely difficult was, I remember the first ever tournament I played was um, after college, was Glasgow, Indoors, Futures. There was four indoor carpet courts. I was on the fourth court. And there was, you could only watch from the window of the first court. So it was very much just completely alone. And, and if I'm brutally honest, I struggled with that on the kind of three years or so that I, that I was playing. How, how did you eventually overcome that to get to the stage where you were able to, I guess, motivate yourself a little bit more to do it on your own? Yes,
1: it's definitely different. I mean, you, you play, you're completely on your own. Yes, you have a coach. You, the coach might be there and clap on the side, but at the end of the day, you're still by yourself on court, and you play for yourself. And um, I, th- I think I still have some weeks, some matches where where I feel lonely on court, where I feel like, oh, why am I doing this? Like, why am I? Yeah. I'm just playing for myself. Um, if I lose, if I lose here, I mean, it's just another loss. Like, it's not the end of the world. So it's definitely. It's, it's hard to, like, find the right balance of, like, playing for yourself and, and, like, really wanting wanting to win. I mean, obviously, you want to win every match, but it's not easy to motivate yourself every single day and going out there and giving you all. And, yeah, I mean, I still struggle with it sometimes. Um, team environment is definitely more fun and there's more, Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's it's easier to, like, just leave it all out there and that's why i really enjoyed playing davis cup for the first time too because finally the team spirit was back and i haven't felt that for like four years because obviously you travel 30 weeks by yourself and yeah you just play you just play every single week and you're just out there by your on your own and yeah it's definitely hard i think it's one of the hardest thing i've dealt with um transitioning from college to the pros
0: and i always i always thought when i was playing i mean i didn't get anywhere near your level Dominic but I I, I played the Challenger circuit on the on, you know doubles and you know so kind of I'm quite pretty familiar with the futures and the Challenger circuit. And I always thought though once you're playing ATP events, I always used to maybe kid myself on this that actually it, it all changes because the financial rewards are so much better you know, there's, there's more crowds, there's more people around, you feel like you're a bit more of a professional. Is Have you experienced that or have you still experienced the loneliness even when you're playing in those bigger events?
1: Yeah, it's definitely true. I mean, growing up, that was the dream. The dream was to play all the Grand Slams. The dream was to win big tournaments, to play on big courts, big stadiums. And then obviously now I get the chance to like actually do that, play biggest tournaments in the world. And there's still this kind of always wanting more like first I thought when I started on the futures tour I was ranked like 2,000 at zero points um, then I got into the top thousand and it wasn't enough I always wanted more I wanted to be top 500 I wanted to be top 200 then once you're top 200 you want to be top 100 now I'm whatever 60 in the world and I mean it there's no like complete fulfillment ever like yes. you always want more you you're trying to yeah, I mean, you're trying to get higher and higher and higher. And I'm, I'm sure like even Djokovic, I mean, the guy has won um, so many, so many. I mean, he has, has accomplished everything and he's still wanting to win more and more and more. It's kind of like an addiction. Yeah, You never want to stop and you, you there's no real fulfillment. And that's that's the hard thing. You got to find them. Um, yeah, you got to find enjoy those moments when when you actually win matches and when you win tournaments i mean it doesn't happen often that you win tournaments maybe once a year twice a year and, and yeah it, it's 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 definitely important to you find the balance of yeah being happy with what you've done and not wanting too much and having too high of expectations because you'll never be happy and you you'll never like reach the full fulfillment yeah. and i think that's that's something I still struggle with and that I'm just, yeah, I mean, I'm happy where I'm at, but I always want more and more and more. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's such a good insight that is Dominic. And I think it's like the the way that I've always thought this, and I know it's, it's a little bit of a cheesy way of putting it, but everyone is so obsessed with the destination. And, and actually when you get to that destination, it's maybe not quite as rosy as we think it's going to be. You know, and we we spend all of this time or some people spend all of this time almost so unhappy throughout the journey thinking it'll be okay once I get there, everything will be fine. And I think it's such a it's such a wise message to be sending to those parents, players, coaches, listening to these podcasts you have to enjoy the experiences and enjoy the journey along the way because it's not necessarily all rose tinted glasses. If you do eventually find the destination as we're hearing from Dominic and many guests, you know, there's always that next mountain to try and climb.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the expectations have changed so much. Like when I first started, my expectation was to qualify for a future and then you qualify for the future the first time and you get, to a challenger level, and your expectations, your goals change, and it's just never ending. Now I'm 60 in the world. Now I gotta make myself new goals. Like the new goal for next season has to be an even higher ranking, I guess. And it's it's yeah, it's it's hard to like find the right balance of being happy and yeah. having still the drive to like get better and improve.
0: And will you sit down? How will you go through that goal-setting process? Will you, will you sit down with your team? Is that something that you're always reflecting on yourself? Um, how, how does that get done?
1: Yeah, I, I usually sit down and um, think about what happens here, um, think about what I want to do next year, what I can be better at, what I need to improve. Um, and then obviously yeah, my coaches, um, and I work with a mental coach as well, we sit down and... Yeah, talk about it and see, yeah, you know, what what is a realistic goal and just trying to find the like a goal that really drives me and really motivates me to like keep working and keep improving, but also, um, yeah, isn't too unrealistic. If I set myself goal for being top five next year, it's very unrealistic. and, and I'll obviously probably. Um, We'll never reach that goal, and then I'll obviously um, have a lot of uh, unhappiness that I didn't reach the goal. So you gotta set yourself a goal that is reachable, but also, yeah, it's it's gotta be a tough one as well because otherwise you have no like no drive to get there.
0: And so, how important is goal setting? Do you think for? I guess I'm I'm aiming this a little bit more at at juniors and parents from from a young age. Do you think it's important from a young age to have goal setting in place?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I looking back, I didn't do that at all. Like even in college, I didn't really do that much. We did it as a team, but never like really individually. um, I didn't take it as serious. But now, like that i've been around on tour for like four years now and i'm 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 starting to realize that definitely helps you like during practice as well you have a tough day in practice and you gotta remember your goal like you know you know where you want to be at and you you have to work hard in order to get there and i think that's one of the most important things that drives me every single day on court when i have a bad day when i get pissed um, i I I think about what I want to do, what I want to reach and what it takes to get there. And I think um, having goals and having something in front of you that you work for is definitely like a good tool to have. Yeah.
0: Very good, Dominic. I'll just take you back a little bit. And and again, for the, for the listeners, as much as anything, Dominic, when you, when you started college, what number, first of all, what number were Tulane ranked in division one? Do you remember?
1: Yeah, we were unranked. Um, there was Hurricane Katrina. Um, there wasn't a program for four years. So I was the yes. second year back, I think. Okay. So yeah, our team was not very good. I'm not going to lie. There was, yeah. it was, more, it was more partying in school than tennis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: and what a place to party, <laughs> New Orleans.
1: Yeah, um, Yeah, we had six seniors on the team. So it was definitely a different, different team environment in the beginning. And then yeah, once we started to like have some good wins and um, the, the team culture changed as well and focus got the focus got shifted towards tennis and i mean we, we worked hard we just didn't have the players in the beginning and then obviously got more players um for recruited more and more and yeah i mean it's, it's, we ended up um, being i think around 25 in the country 20 in the country by the end of my senior year that was an ama- it's
0: an amazing achievement for, for Tulane. That. And what number, to put the context to it, what number were you playing on the team in your first year?
1: Uh, my first match, I played five. Okay. And then I went on a winning streak and they kept moving me up. And then by the end of freshman year, I started playing one. Then I think I won like 13 matches in a row. I like started playing at five, four, three, and then worked my way up. And then towards the end, I, they started playing me at one. So you
0: you adapted very quick. And then then what was your greatest achievement in college?
1: Um, I got to number one in the nation in college ranking my senior year for almost the entire year. And then won national indoor championships. And yeah, I never did well at the NCAA tournament. But uh, yeah, I guess that's the only thing that I'm kind of regretting. I never really had a deep run there. I always... You know, lost third round, quarterfinals. Okay,
0: but you must, you must be—they must have your picture pinned up everywhere in Tulane.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've, um, yeah, I've, I've done well, and I'm really thankful and happy that, um, yeah, there I got the opportunity to play there, and yeah, I'm, I, I still love going back. Um, once a year, I try to go back and just see some old friends, and yeah. You know,
0: Awesome. And again, for those listening, I guess the connection between myself and Dominic, my my assistant coach when I was at LSU, Coach Coach Buras was then became the head coach of Tulane um, after Katrina Hurricane Katrina, and he was the one that that recruited you to Tulane, and then was your coach for four years. Um, can you say a couple of words about Coach Buras?
1: Yeah, I am. Um, I obviously. Um... Didn't have a great ranking, didn't have any ITF points, played one ITF tournament and lost first round of quality, So that was a good resume. And then it was hard to find schools that were interested. I had one division two offer and two lanes offer. So the choice was very easy. Um, he came to Germany to watch me play for a couple of days. Um, I've actually never had played on hardcore before I went to the US. And I always wow. grew up playing on car- on carpet. Um, played on clay in the summer and yeah he, he came over watched me play and he yeah he gave me the chance he gave me scholarship and um, it was an easy decision for me I didn't know much about Tulane didn't know anything about New Orleans um I remember the first day he picked me up from the airport and it was a culture shock and um, I wasn't it took me a while to get used to it but I'm you know really thankful that he gave me the opportunity and yeah and I think we did a good job and um, rebuilding the program and yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I had blast for four years. And, yeah, I, I love going back, like I said. um, there's a lot of cool people I still talk to here and there. And um, a lot of the Tulane fans or followers, however you want to call it, um, they still come to tournaments, like, literally all around the world. I've awesome. pe- I've had people in, uh, in Australia. I've had people, um, obviously, at the US Open. A lot of guys flew up when I had that run um, yeah. a year ago. And um, yeah, it's great to see that connection to feeling.
0: And how uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the film *Sliding Doors* with Gwyneth Paltrow, um, but the whole the whole concept of that movie is how different your life can be. You know, if you take if you take one door, you take the other door, and I guess you know. For you to get that opportunity, where as, as an academy here in Spain, where we're always placing people into into college, and to get a Division One college scholarship is a really big deal. It's not a it's not an easy thing to do, you know. And the fact that you've I guess you've had a coach that's put his neck on the line for you. If that hadn't have happened, do you think you still would have got there as a professional tennis player?
1: No, no chance. I mean. I probably would have ended up going to Division Two, but Division Two, I mean, it's obviously it's it, it was actually a decent school, but it was it's not as professional as Division One. Um, the level the level of tennis is good there, but it's it's not the same as Division One. I. I mean, Division One tennis, um, I played good players um every single week, and I think that's what got me better. Um, I you know, played so many matches there, and um, week in week out, and um, had good practices, had good coaches, and I don't think um if I if it wasn't Tulane, I don't think I would have gone into the, like to the States and played college tennis. I probably would have just studied at home in Germany. Um, would have, um, yeah, played club tennis and practice the same as I did before, but I would have never made it um, like professionally. No.
0: Well, that's a, that's a massive uh, shout out there for you, coach Boo. You certainly, I never got a chance to say thank you for all the work you did with me back in the day, but you've always been a great guy and a great coach. And, you know the fact that you can have on your resume forever that you've taken a chance on a young boy from germany and this this boy's gone on to achieve and he's got so much more to achieve in his career um you know you can you can carry on and keep that keep that close to your heart for a long time you know that that's for sure and in in terms of coaches dominic what what do you look for in a coach what do you need from it as a coach um now that you're on the professional tour is is that something that you spend a lot of time or spent a lot of time trying to find the right coach for
1: you? Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, in the very beginning, it was when I started playing on the Futures Tour. Um, it was more about guidance and having someone with me and yeah, you know, telling me how, how things are here and tell me what to do and yeah. You know, and then they things obviously have changed and now I'm working with Ryan Williamson for like two years now and it's been great I and mean, he's very specific tennis. Tennis wise, um I, I've gone much better. I think um t- like there's still so many things we can work on and we work on every day. And yeah, I think he he's great at seeing things tennis wise, technique wise, sometimes some um, tactic tactics, um, some I mean, some some I've worked with three different coaches. Um, um the first one was actually Ryan's cousin, um I had a great time with him. It was it was awesome to like he really showed me um what it takes um to like to get to the next level and we we had yeah I thought it was I won the first tournament the first future with him so I had a good time and then um yeah I mean now with Ryan um he's like I said he's very specific um tennis wise he he tells me what to do but he, I think it's also important to have someone that tells you when you act out on court that uh, you need to stop and get it together and he's doing all that. And I think yeah, that's why we get along really good.
0: And what does it take? So how, how have you made it through this crazy, crazy difficult sport yet so many junior Grand Slam champions, um, <laughs> players that have picked up their first ATP points age 15 haven't managed to do it yet. You have what what does it take to make it as a tennis player?
1: Yeah, there's so many good tennis players out there. I mean, if you play a guy that's ranked 500, he's he probably hits the ball just as well as a guy ranked 200. But there's so many different little things that add up to the whole like thing, world of tennis. Um, you, you there's I think the mental component is very big, and I was terrible mentally in the very beginning when I started playing on the Futures Tour there was a few matches where I just completely lost it. And I, there's still days and times where I'm not very good on court and I'm working on that and I've gotten much better. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've had some success over the last year, but it's just not as consistent because mentally I'm just not a machine like other guys are already. And I think that's one big thing that I have to work on in order to make it to like into the top 40, top 30, whatever it is. And, Yeah, I mean, it 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 takes a lot. It takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of, yeah. You you, like you said earlier, um, you take a loss every single week, um, every tournament you play, unless you win the tournament. But there's only one guy that can win the tournament, so you gotta be ready to, yeah, you gotta expect to lose at some point in the week, and it's not easy to, um, yeah, deal with those losses. I mean, it's lonely. Your futures. You might be in the middle of nowhere. You might be in I don't know where, like Egypt, and for four weeks in a row, and just having to deal with yourself, and then you have to get back on the practice court and think about the next match next week and upcoming tournament. There's always an next in tennis. That's a good thing. Like if you win, if you lose this week, you can probably play a tournament somewhere next week and make it better. But yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things I struggled with is overcoming losses. You take a loss, and then yeah, you're pissed about it. You you're annoyed about it. You're but annoyed about yourself, and you know you could have done better, but you can't change it. You gotta think about next week. What are you gonna do better next week? And are you gonna learn from the loss? And are you gonna, you know, improve for next week and then give yourself a chance to win again.
0: And and on that point, it's very tangible to know if you're forehand is improving you know there's there's a very clear way you can use video analysis you know you can obviously look at match stats you know you can look at those areas same with the serve physically you can test yourself physically you can get in the gym There's certain exercises the certain ways of working the mental side is a little bit harder it's a bit more intangible it's harder to see to touch to feel you know how how have you made the improvements to the mental side of the game
1: yeah, that's very true. That's why it's hard to work on too, because you don't see the immediate results. If you hit a hundred serves, the next day your serve is probably a little better, and you can feel it. But if you meditate every single day, then, then you probably won't. Or if you make your mental do your mental exercises, whatever it is, um, you probably won't see the immediate result. It just like takes a long time to like get there, and that's what's hard, like to like actually be like committed to improving your mental strength and um yeah it, it 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 takes some time um i've i've done progress i'm not there where i want to be but um yeah i think just continuously working on it um gets you better and you can see it in practices if you practice hard if you're mentally there in every single practice if your intensity is there every single practice it'll probably um yeah um go over in matches and, and yeah, I think I think if you do good in in practices, it can definitely transform to performing well in matches.
0: And how many people do you think on the tour are working with mental coaches now? I think it's a high percentage.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's more than people think. Um, that I uh, tennis has been has is such has such a high level right now, and um, that everyone can play. I mean, it doesn't matter if you like I said if you play guy ranked 120 or guy a guy ranked um, 30, they're all kind of the same ball strikers. Like there's just little differences where some might be a little better than others. And I mean, yeah, being mentally at your best, um, being in a happy state of mind I mean, is very important in order to like, you know, play your best tennis, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a believer that if we go back like 25, 30 years, there probably wasn't that many fitness coaches around, you know, the fitness, physical fitness wasn't actually <laughs> the, the mainstay or, or, or part of someone's kind of da- daily program. And I think in 10 years time, we'll, we'll look back and go, can we believe that we, we weren't working? I, I call it mental fitness that we weren't working on our mental fitness, you know? And I think, there was quite a fixed mindset on it that you're either mentally tough or you're not mentally tough. And I think there's, there's so many people now that have proven that it is just like physical fitness. It, it requires daily work, you know, that, that to, to make these improvements. I don't know what you think about that.
1: It, it is. Yes. And um, I think the hardest part about it is that you don't really see the results. So you still have to be committed, even though you can't see the immediate results. It'll just, yeah, it might show like in in three months you might win a match because you did that but you can't really tell why you won the match so yeah it, it's hard to like stay on track with that and it, it does take daily disciplines and daily routines in order to yeah to to get better at it and to keep improving.
0: And if you were to reflect on your your journey so far, why do you think you have? defied the odds so much at every at every turn
1: um, I think I I've always every stage I've been at like whether it was college or now in the pros I always managed to work really hard in the gym and on court and I always I mean I always wanted to improve I always want to get better I always um, want to win I mean you you practice for for the tournaments I mean practicing is fun the fun part is the tournaments and yeah, I, I, really, I really love playing tennis and I love doing sports. And I think that's definitely an advantage that I enjoy doing, doing what I do. And, um, yeah, the hard work, um, without the hard work, um, it, it's impossible to you know, get there. And I think I've done a good job and um, pushing myself in practices and you know, pushing myself and no one looks, when no one's looking.
0: And have you surprised yourself how well you've done?
1: A little bit sometimes, yes. I mean, it was very unexpected. I've I've never really had those experiences that other had, other guys had. Um, like playing junior Grand Slams, like being, like playing with the best players in the world. The age, um, I've never done that. I play prize money tournaments in Germany. It's not the same. And, and I think that's. there that was at the beginning. It was a little disadvantage because I just didn't have to believe that I could hang with those guys. And then it took me some time to realize that it's nothing different. And I. I started to believe more. I started to have more confidence in myself and my game. And I think that kind of, yeah, um, yeah, that's why I won a few matches. And um, I think, um, yeah, I definitely surprised myself. I, I obviously was hoping that I could make it, but I never really, deep down, I didn't believe that I could make it. And now I'm here and I'm like, yeah, starting to build more confidence. And yeah, hopefully the journey isn't over.
0: And have you ever stopped to celebrate that fact?
1: Um. Yeah, it's it's hard. Obviously, if you have a great week, um, I, the breakthrough was probably the my first challenger win last year in Ilkley. Um, that, that was an awesome feeling. Um, I took well, like a few days off, um, just to like realize what I've done. Like, I'm playing Wimbledon main draw, first Grand Slam, and that's what you dream. That's what you, what I've dreamt. And I, I just, I, yeah, it's it's tough because there's always the next in tennis. Like, you have maybe a day maybe you only have the night and then you got to go move on. You got to fight to the next tournament and play the next day. So there's not much time to like celebrate, but you definitely got to, got to make sure that you enjoy those moments because those moments don't come every single day. And I think it's very important to yeah, recognize those moments and yeah, take, take them in.
0: Well tonight on behalf of control, the controllables, wherever, wherever you are, whatever's in your glass, I want you to raise a glass to what a fantastic career you've had so far, because it's it, you know I know there's there's a there's a long way to go, and I'm sure you've got lots of goals, but it it really is. not sitting listening to you, it's inspirational to hear it. Obviously, I, I've heard your story a little bit through Coach Buras, and you know I followed it from afar. I was actually in Ilkley last year when you when you won the event. I'm not sure if I was there on finals day, but I coach a, a British guy called Evan Hoyt. So I oh, yeah. was I, I was there that week, and you know I was I was kind of watching you run, and I knew I knew what that meant because I knew that the winner got, got a wild card into Wimbledon as well. Um, and it's certainly it's it's certainly important that at times you do just stop because it's it's been incredible so far, and it's been brilliant hearing about it today. Um, so I'll be raising a glass alongside all of the control the controllables listeners late, later tonight. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, appreciate it. And a couple more questions, Dominic. One, I guess along this similar sort of topic, really, of like you've maybe surprised yourself of, of what you've achieved. Is there any players that have surprised you that they haven't come through, that maybe you've seen them at the Challenger Tours and thought they are on their way to being a top 50 player in the world that haven't got there?
1: um i mean there, there's so many I, the the challenger level there's so many good players and i mean it takes a little uh like a little luck as well i mean i got, I got lucky you now with the the covid thing that my u.s open points stayed on and th- there, there's so many different components that add to the whole tennis t- tennis world and i think um yeah there's a lot of good players and a lot of players that have the potential maybe some of them don't work as disciplined as others which might be a reason why they don't make where they haven't made it yet And yeah there's it, ta- it takes a lot there's a lot of um a lot of different things that you know just that you know add to it and I think um maybe some players that have made it them um, haven't found the right mix of things the right balance of things yet And yeah I, w- I was lucky enough to have a few good weeks to put together a few weeks re- a few good weeks uh, at the right time and yeah, I, I'm just very grateful that um, yeah that I'm here now and i uh, found found a way to like manage manage my career, I guess, and find the right balance of things.
0: Very good. And in your young career so far, what would you say your greatest experience of experiences have been?
1: No, uh, it was definitely last year at the US Open um, playing. Yeah, qualifying for qualifying for the first time for against Grand Slam. Um, then my mom was there, like playing in front of family, and a lot of Tulane people came up. I mean, by the end there was like sixty people uh, that just flew up there to watch me play, and uh, it was um, obviously playing playing on Louis Armstrong was was a great experience, and uh, yeah, I'm I loved it. I played Medvedev. Um, it was a great great experience, and I think I took a lot from it, and yeah, kind of yeah gained confidence through that as well. And you also
0: took down the big man, huh? You managed to break his serve a couple of times, Riley Opelka.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's not, It can't be easy facing that serve.
1: Uh, No, I've, I've actually played him before the year's Open. I played him at a challenger. I lost 7-6 in the third set. So I, I kind of knew him. I think that was kind of an advantage. I wasn't too nervous. I knew who he was. And, and that definitely helped me, like, like handling the moment better than probably playing some guy I haven't played before
0: yeah and I remember seeing him at a challenger maybe three four years ago and I spoke to a couple of the British boys and I said I'm telling you this guy will definitely be top 30 in the world and they're like no way he can't he can't hit the ball I said it doesn't matter look at look at (laughs) his look at it you can't it's just incredible that people aren't going to be able to get that thing back you know and he seems to have gone from strength to strength
1: yeah, he, he's gotten very good off the baseline too now. Like, it's very dangerous to play him because he plays so aggressive and you just constantly, you're so much, you have so much pressure serving that it's, you almost, yeah, crumble apart.
0: And who do you think is going to be the next Grand Slam champion? And you're not allowed to say yourself, coming from the next generation of players. Uh,
1: probably Rublev, to be honest. I mean, he, what he's done this year is very good. I mean, he, he had the guy doesn't lose right now. I'm, he, I, I like watching him play too. He's super intense and yeah, he, he's definitely one of them I think could that could win one of his yeah. And when you say he's super intense
0: again to juniors watching, I would imagine it's the same on the practice court, eh?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean yeah, intensity is very important in tennis and whatever intensity you bring in practice, you probably are able to bring in matches as well and I think that's one area I can still work on as well. Just practice more intense and then being being able to play with the same intensity doing matches. Because if you don't practice it, um, how oh, are you gonna have the confidence that you can do it in matches? So.
0: and what would one piece of advice for a tennis parent be for you?
1: I think um a lot of tennis parents I, I was lucky that my parents never really pushed me, which was one of the reasons why I did a lot of different things. Um I think it's important to let the kids do whatever they want to. Like, don't force it them I mean, if they if they don't want to practice five times a week, I and mean, that's fine. I and mean, you're not gonna not make it because you didn't practice five times when you're like 12 years old. And it, it's it it takes a lot of fun out of them if you make them make them do things they don't they don't like. And I think um, the fun should always be priority and if you have fun playing tennis then there's a higher chance that you'll work harder and that you that you really enjoy what you're doing and i think that's very important
0: what about for a, for a young player
1: a young player i think um it i don't think it matters really whether you're number five or number 50 when you're like 12 years old um like you might as well be there's like you said earlier there's there's been a few grand slam junior champions that have never made it them um, it doesn't mean anything i mean it's it's different obviously it helps if you if you're a good junior player you have um yeah that's a, that's a good start but it you you're not gonna lose it when you're 15 years old um you you just have to you have to continuously work on 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 your game and don't think short term like sh- think long term um think about what you can get better at and what can help you once you like turn pro or whenever you go to college and then turn pro like there's there's a lot of things that um, come into play and I think it's it's important not to rush things
0: it's a great answer and it's it's one of the reasons I just love your story because I think we don't we don't hear enough from from people like yourself you know on your story and again you you sound like such a humble guy who's just going about your your own business but i think we need to get your story out far and wide you know i think we We need to change the perception that, like I talked about earlier, that it has to be early specialization, that there has to be an obsession from such a young age, you know, because people's health and happiness is always the thing that comes first. And the fact that you've been able to do that in your life and then still have a career, I think, is a massive inspiration to many. Um, so, thank you for your time, Dominic. It's been amazing. You don't get away without doing our quick fire round, though, which is tradition yeah, control the controllable. So, are you ready? Yeah. It has to be quick. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Serve or return? Return. College or pro? College. ATP or Davis Cup? Davis Cup. Injury timeout or not? Not good i like it you're with me (laughs) five sets at a slam or not
1: five sets
0: you're also with me on that a ptpa supporter or not
1: uh not sure yet i mean yeah there's some good there's some good things that they want to do but i mean it's all still like in the very beginning so it's hard to say
0: one rule change that you would make in tennis if you could no let ah college college boy coming out huh
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean at the smaller tournaments it's like the referees are terrible so you might as well just <laughs> play whatever that <they> you have
0: <laughs> but i always found in college that the nets are so tight in the states that when you get these net codes that they pop up in the air that used to cause me some problems, whereas if that's like that's true, but
1: there's 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 so many fights about it at the lower level low tournaments, and uh, you might as well just play them if you if you can't do the call right. Absolutely, that's what I feel like.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, Dominic Kopfer, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for your time, and all the very best for, for, for the rest of two thousand and twenty. Your preparation and good luck in twenty twenty one. Thank you very
1: much for joining us. Yeah, Thank you for having me. Thanks.
0: Big thank you to Dominic Kopfer for coming on the show. Appreciate your time, Dominic, and hope everyone enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, I guess my, my takeaways from that is he's, he's, he's done it obviously a different route. I think time and time again we're seeing this ownership come through that you know players play because they want to play you know the players don't play because parents want them to play and I think that's a, a massive takeaway I also am taking away the importance of other sports once again you know the, the skills in tennis can also be learned at an early age through other sports and and complemented and enhanced even and, and I think if you are a player or a parent that's got your child just doing tennis you know maybe stop and think about you know their overall development one in terms of an athlete and in terms of a tennis player but also two in terms of their social development and their ability to to be a happy happy healthy person which is ultimately the number one goal and that comes out. Yeah, my last one is, even though somebody like Dominic is 65 in the world, it's funny how hard they find it to celebrate their own successes and how they can be a little bit caught up in that bubble of of being a tennis player and and always thinking about the next destination. You know, and I think it's important that we remember tennis is the vehicle. (laughs) It's not the destination. And, you know, not that Dominic would take me in his corner, but... If he was to take me into his corner, that would certainly be a mindset that I would, I would work on with him, you know. And I, just because these players are on the television, don't think that they've all got it sorted. You know, they've obviously fantastic athletes, fantastic people, but there is there's obviously margins, which he knows, and he's he was very open on that, and he's working on his game and it's never the final article you know you're still going so lots of insights a few of my thoughts uh, as as always a big shout out to you all more and more people reaching out so thank you for the kind words thank you for the support on the podcast thank you for the fantastic ratings and reviews that i'm starting to see go up and um, that's greatly appreciated i guess not necessarily for us as such but just to help other people to to get this knowledge. I think they're incredibly educational hearing these great people in our sport talk. So um, have a great week, wherever you are, and look forward to bringing our next podcast in the next few days. Take care, guys. I'm Dan Kiernan. My co-host is John McGann. We are Control the Controllables.